What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off The Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Ami Ben-David is co-founder and managing partner at Spice VC and a founder at Onera. In this conversation, we discuss tokenized securities, the role of bankers in the financial system moving forward, how freedom and privacy are related, and where Ami believes the biggest opportunities in digital securities exist today. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, coming live from CIS. I feel like a radio disc jockey saying that, so I'm going to keep saying it. Uh, with uh, Ami, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. Some we agree on, some we don't. Yeah. This is, uh, is going to get good really fast. So uh, let's go background first, and then we can get into uh, some of the stuff you're doing now. But what did you do pre-crypto? Um, I was an entrepreneur. I started uh, six companies. Six companies? Yeah. Okay, that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, some did very well, some did terribly, <laughs> some did okay. Uh, and uh, I think the last important thing I did before uh, crypto was uh, AI, machine learning. Okay. And, and uh, distributed search engines, things like that. Basically, most of my companies were companies that I invented the product. And, and led the product. That's usually what I do. Got it. And so what was the big company? Ah, we're getting handed water. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. So I'd say the biggest company before I started uh, the fund was a company that did a uh, distributed search engine uh, based on HTML5. And it was selected by Firefox and uh, Telefonica to be the search engine for the Firefox OS. Okay. Yeah, a doomed uh, uh, operating system that tried to compete with uh, Android and, uh, and uh, with uh, iOS. But it was very cool. Uh, it's a search engine where you would ask a question and instead of getting links as a result, you get apps pop up which you can swipe between the apps. And each app would answer your question from a different provider. So a completely decentralized search engine. They're gonna give you a different microphone. Okay. Can you guys hear him now? All right. Okay. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah? All right. All right, so you do the search engine, and how do you eventually discover crypto? Like, what's the first time you ever hear about crypto, and you're like, wow, let's go change the world, let's buy some Bitcoin? So when we were doing the search engine, a few of my uh, developers were constantly talking about this new thing called, called <laughs> Bitcoin and fighting about it and so on. And I said, oh, whatever, I'll buy a few. So I bought a few at 500. And then, uh, no, actually, I bought it at a thousand, and then it dropped immediately to five hundred, <laughs> and stayed there for two years or so. So I forgot all about it, mm -hmm. and then suddenly it started going up again, mm -hmm. and it go went up and up and up. And then, uh, from my previous day, that when I did the search engine, we did it together with a guy called Brendan Ike. Brendan was from uh, Mozilla, from Firefox. He's the guy who invented JavaScript, and he was talking about crypto and about uh, blockchain. And I understood what he said, but it didn't really sink in. Mm -hmm. 
yep. until he actually did the brave launch and you know raised 35 million dollars in 30 seconds so i immediately called him up and said hey what's going on yeah so and for those that don't know brandon is uh he's the founder of a whole bunch of stuff but um today uh brave browser yes and the uh the bat token or the basic attention token right? yes so i i okay you, so you see him just ball out and raise 35 million dollars in 30 seconds you're like that sounds pretty interesting yes uh, and he was like yeah well it was so amazing and and we started talking about it and, and and I said, well, we're building a fund. Uh, can we make the fund tokenized? And then we realized we can't really make the fund tokenized because tokens are utilities and a fund is a security by definition. People give you money, yep. you're supposed to give them more in return. So that's a security. So you can't do a fund with a utility token. So we said, let's do a security token. We started looking around, nobody was doing it. There was no platforms, no legal structure, nothing. And since I've been doing uh, startups all my life, we just sat down and said, okay, let's go ahead and just do that. What year is this? That's 2017. Okay, so 2017. And when you do this, explain what a tokenized fund is and what the difference is between that and a traditional fund. So a regular VC fund, you the LPs give money to, and then they're, they're waiting for the exits. And when there's an exit, the exit spreads between the LPs. So if you have 10% of the fund, you get 10% of the exit, roughly. Uh, a tokenized fund, we did exactly the same. If you want to be part of the fund, you buy tokens. And if you hold 10% of the tokens, when there's an exit, you get 10% of the money. So for all intent and purpose, it's just a regular VC fund, but you have tokens and tokens are tradable and you can it becomes liquid from day one. So we basically took an asset class that is illiquid for seven years on average and made it immediately liquid. So we were very excited about that. Okay, and when you do this, what did, how much did you guys raise? What was the reception? Um, the reception was initially very good from the crypto side and very, very hesitant from the institutional side. Because, Why? Because they didn't know what tokens were. Tokens were uh, connected to crypto and to utilities and basically lack of knowledge. And to be honest, nobody knew what security tokens were because we were the first. Nobody. So security tokens were, were not in vogue yet at the time. Uh, we ended up raising uh, about 10. We're now, the NAV that we're managing is about 15. So the fund grew up nicely. And, um, and the reason we didn't raise so much was that the crypto crashed when we, when we were raising. So the crypto people disappeared. The, the fiat people hasn't arrived yet. Mm -hmm. So timing is very important sometimes. And, and how many of the people are buying a fund like that because they want to be in a tokenized fund versus they want to bet on you and your ability to pick companies um, and, and kind of the traditional things that a venture capitalist would be evaluated on. I think that's the main thing that we learned. So initially we, we kind of uh, led with the fact that we were a tokenized fund and explained what we were doing. Today, when we're talking about raising, we're talking only about the asset. Mm -hmm. The fact that it's tokenized by now is not news anymore. People are used to security tokens. It's already becoming more and more acceptable. So if I were talking about a fund today, I would talk only about the fund. Mm -hmm. And the fund itself, funnily enough, also invests in the infrastructure for security token because we saw this thing as that we did for ourselves and we realized that this is just the tip of the iceberg mm -hmm. uh, we're just doing a fund but this is uh, the story is, is funny we, we built a platform for ourselves and uh, carlos my partner put out a blog post to say this is our platform you can come and invest in our uh, in our fund yep and we got a lot of people calling us and saying hey can we use the platform to launch our own asset so two things happen out of that one is that we 
span out Securitize as a separate company, which is now a market leader and we're, you know, one of our portfolio company. And the second thing is we double down and focus the entire company, entire fund on investing in the security token infrastructure and the ecosystem, which has grown dramatically over the last year and a half. All right. Let's talk about the, uh, the ecosystem. Where is the infrastructure today for security tokens? Give it a grade before we get started. A, B, C, B plus, C minus? Uh, a plus. A plus, what? <laughs> All right, go ahead, explain wait, wait, why. Wait. A is good or A is bad? A is good. No, In no. America, A is good. Uh, so I'm from England. That's oh, the, wait, the, wait, is A, wait, hold on, I'll explain this. Uh, let's do it the other way around. <laughs> In England, A is bad? Man, are C's good? Because I'd have been a, a genius a, in England. <laughs> a, a star is the best. A star? A star is the best, right. yeah. No. You, <laughs> <laughs> if, if I have kids, I'm going to send them to England. They're going to be the smartest kids in the room. All right. Send them over. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I would say that um, we're still starting. The, it's, okay. it's not, it's not so very So C advanced. minus? C, I would say, is, is oh, where, C, where, right, where it's nice. And depend, depending who. I mean, there's... Uh, as I said, our portfolio companies securitize the, the market leaders. Mm -hmm. So they do what they do very, very well. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, it's just the beginning of the market. The rest of the market, other companies uh, are, are way behind. All right. So I did this with somebody recently. Uh, it hasn't been aired yet. So you get to rebut them if you disagree with them. But let's go through the ecosystem. Uh, there's issuance platforms, there's protocols, there's exchanges, and there's service providers. That's the way I think about it, right? Yeah. Uh, you gave them a C combined. Let's go to the issuance platforms, which Securitize does. So this helps assets actually tokenize an issue. And they're uh, doing well. They're good. They, okay, so they're good. They get an A? They get an A. An England A or an American A? American. American, okay. <laughs> uh, what about the entire issuance platform ecosystem? Like when you look across the board, right? So not just Securitize, but everybody. Is that the most developed part of the ecosystem? Um, I would say it's now the most development okay. developed part of the ecosystem, but there's a lot of players out there that haven't actually deployed anything. Okay. So they make a lot of noise, but they haven't really deployed anything. And, and, and for me, marketing is, is just boring. Deploy. <laughs> All right. Uh, protocols. Um, protocols, I would say most of the market today is working on top of Ethereum. Okay. Ethereum was not designed for security tokens. So mm -hmm. it's really hard. It's an anonymous network. Um, and it's, it's just built by, you know, by anarchists. So <laughs> it, it's not ideal for securities. So you have to build on top of it. Uh, the first protocol that was launched was a DS protocol by Securitize. Mm -hmm. There's another uh, a few other protocols that haven't been used very widely. widely. Um, we're, we're just starting on the protocol side. All right, we'll get into what you're doing there yeah. in a second. Uh, exchanges. Exchanges, we really in the beginning. There's T0 right. out with very, very little trade. Uh, there's open finance, which we are trading on. Mm -hmm. uh, the trade volumes are not high. We're trading above NAV, so I'm happy, but, but it's not, you know, it's not, uh, uh, you know, there's not enough volume in there. And uh, within Spice, we invested in three exchanges because- Okay, what three exchanges? Uh, we invested in INX, that's going to go in New York. Mm -hmm. We invested in uh, Archux, that's going to go- What is that one? Archux. Archux? Archux. Okay, what is that? Uh, they're in uh, a security token exchange that's going to go in London. Okay. Uh, city people. And we invested in Investa Crowd that's going okay. to be in an exchange in Singapore because I believe that while the assets are international, trade is going to be local. 
Mm-hmm. So we want to have a, a, a big player in each main market. Are you worried about the circles, uh, the or Plonix, uh, Gemini, Coinbase, uh, maybe even a Binance, like coming top down and getting into the security token game? Or do you think that these kind of uh, native security token type exchanges can win? I think I'm the opposite of worried. I'd love them to come. Uh, however, I don't see them, uh, you know, most of them are not really inclined to go and do the uh, regulation that is required. Mm-hmm. And they already have a history and a past and an and existing business that is not exactly compatible with being regulated. Mm-hmm. So it will be hard for them to do that, but the more the merrier. Got it. And then uh, service providers is the last part. What, what grade are we giving service providers? Uh, it's very, very initial uh, in terms of service provider. If you want to no, you, you got to give me a letter. Uh, C. <laughs> C. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Why? Because uh, the market is not mature yet. It's it's now maturing. There are only there's just a very few small number of players that actually done things, and a lot of people that are theorizing and marketing and telling mm-hmm. stories and so on. But but it's just being built now. This is a new ecosystem. It's growing in massive scale, but it's still very very new. I mean, we launched our token in April of last year, and we were the fourth token ever. So we're just talking less than a year now. Do you know what the first three were? The first, sorry? The first three? Uh, blockchain Capital was uh, yep. before us. Science was Science. Uh, before us. And the, I don't remember the third one. Got it. Um, all right. And let's talk about the assets that are getting tokenized today. Um, I think everyone got excited about funds and equity. I've now seen bonds. I've seen a bunch of asset-backed tokens by commodities. Where do you see the most activity in a, and where do you think the sustainable assets will come from first? All of the ones that you said, and you didn't mention real estate and infrastructure projects and things like that. I think the answer is initially every asset that is illiquid by nature. Um, is illegal? Illiquid. Oh, illiquid. Illiquid, right. non-liquid. Non-liquid assets. That was a bad translation okay. on my part. Right, so, so, illegal so, versus illiquid is a big difference. <laughs> yes. All right. Illiquid. So non-liquid assets that are large, these are the, 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 the prime ones to be, to be tokenized now. And what I found from my experience is that in this market, the supply of assets that we want to tokenize is infinite. Mm-hmm. Infinite. We raised our hands when we launched Securitize and said we want to tokenize uh, immediately, we were flooded by you know uh, people that wanted to tokenize. Uh, the problem of the market is to get it normalized and to build the infrastructure so that investors comes as, come as well. But it's, the problem is not going to be from the supply side. Suppliers do want to tokenize their assets because they're sitting on non-liquid assets that are worth you know hundreds and tens of millions of dollars, which they can't touch. So. If the, supply is not, if the supply side is not the problem, then demand side, obviously, there's issues. Yeah. Where, like, why are investors not interested in doing this, or, or at least why are they not doing it? What, what's holding them up? Uh, I would put it this way. The infrastructure that the big investors, the institutional investors required or to, to invest is not there yet to the level that they will be comfortable with it. And they're very, very risk averse. And they're managing other people's money and they have fiduciary rights. And for them to jump into holding a digital asset, even if it's connected to a real asset in the real world, it has to be solid. And from what I'm seeing today, uh, it's not yet solid enough. So first of all, it's running on a blockchain, uh, you know, Ethereum, which is, uh, you know, has some uh, uh, bad reputation and a lot of crypto association and built by people that have different ideology. 
Let's put it this way. But is their ideology incorrect or is it just not in line with what institutions believe? It's just incompatible. I mean, a lot of the ideas that you would hear in a crypto a conference where, you know, I, I put a tweet out that I, where I said that I think uh, uh, anonymity is not important. Privacy is important. I, I was nearly stoned, basically. <laughs> so... Uh, Twitter is a, a dangerous place. Yeah, you, as, as you would know. Trust me. <laughs> um, all right. So as these institutions are looking at coming into the space, so so let's 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 put on the table one of the things we disagree on. Then we'll talk about Anera, okay. and then we can talk about other things we disagree on. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, I got him like captive now. He can't get away. He's got to yeah. he's got to talk to you about this stuff. Um, so first is uh, I'll go easy first. Uh, long Bitcoin, short the bankers. You very cleverly wrote an article called Long the Bankers, which uh, when Coindesk sent it to me, I literally responded and I said, ha ha, that was very smart. Uh, <laughs> explain what you mean by long the bankers and, and kind of what the logic there is. Okay. Uh, you constantly say that everything is going to be tokenized, all the currency, but also all the assets. All Now, the assets are the key, the big capital behind the assets is in the institutional market. These are the big, 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 big capital. These are the trillions of dollars. And these guys require somebody to mediate for them. They can't go direct to every small uh, issuer or every big issuer. They need trusted entities that they trust to underwrite for them and to distribute for them. And those entities are the investment bankers. So if we think that everything needs to be tokenized, if we think tokenization can be a trillion, multi-trillion dollar market, the road goes through investment banks. And then when they do their, their job, it will flow to the rest of the market. It will go to smaller players and it will go to, to the market, it will go to, to retail. But initially you need to get the big money there because as I told you before, supply of assets is unlimited. If you can get a banker, if you can get JP Morgan, if you can get any of the big bank, I'm just saying JP Morgan as an example, or Citi or, or ING Capital or any of these uh, uh, players to take an asset and then turn around, underwrite it and say, we trust this asset and then turn around and sell it and provide all the tools to, to their investors to the, because they know what the fiduciary rights are and do it in a regulated manner. That's where this market is coming. And it's not going there without the bankers. So I disagree. Okay. <laughs> uh, Automation is going to take out white collar employees before it take out blue collar employees. And the bankers are at the top of the fucking list, right? And here's why. I've invested in multiple companies at this point that use data to underwrite loans, equity, et cetera, in an automate, automated fashion that render the bankers completely irrelevant, right? And I'll give you an example. So there's a company that we invested in called Bravo Capital. What they do is uh, they work with mobile app developers that monetize through subscription, right? So think of Spotify, for example. They go to Spotify and they say, give us all your data, give us your bank account, your advertising account, your um, analytics, all this stuff. They suck it in, these algorithms to underwrite CAC and LTV. They then say, I'll give you a loan for you to use for customer acquisition. You use that money to acquire your customers, but when that customer pays, they pay the app store, right? $10 a month. Apple takes their cut out, then they send the money to Bravo, Bravo takes their cut out, and they give the rest of the money to Spotify, right? In that case, normally you would have an investment banker underwrite the loan, right? Do the work, all the stuff. They completely remove them with algorithms, right? Figure is another one with the mortgages. 
we basically go from having seven, eight different middlemen and seven, eight percent fees to now there's one middleman and it's an algorithmic product that completely removes all of the middlemen in the mortgage process. And you can compress the fees, right? Again, the bankers are gone. Like it's not a, is it going to happen? It's, I have proof points that's going to happen. My theory is that what the bankers are going to do is they're going to gravitate towards the assets they feel like they can keep hold of the longest. And so it's going to be the super esoteric stuff. It's going to be the really big real estate deals, like all of that type of stuff. So it'll be the big dollar stuff. But the volume on an aggregate basis is going to go algorithmic within the next like five years. I think that you're right when you're talking ah, about... He admitted he was right. No, ah, I, look I, at that. <laughs> I think you're right when you're talking about uh, assets that are, I would say, commoditized. Okay. Okay. So when, when, I, when an asset is commoditized, the, the job of underwriting it can be automated because okay. it's commoditized. Yep. But the, the vast amounts of money out there, the big capital, the trillions of dollars are not necessarily in things that can be automated. Like if you have a, a $600, $600 million mall in Romania that wants to be tokenized, mm -hmm. okay? You can't send an AI to underwrite it. Uh, mm -hmm. You need to have somebody, and the issuer, if you, you can't trust the issuer as well. The issuer will say, yeah, this is a, a, a billion dollar mall. No, you need to have somebody look at it and say, I put my reputation, I stake my reputation, that this is a $600 million mall in Romania, and then turn around and sell it to a buyer in, in the US. Okay, that functionality is not going away soon. Now, if I have to wait until an AI can get on a drone, fly to Romania, uh, inspect the mall, and come up with, with, with something reasonable, we'll have to wait a long time. I, I think that um, there are two innovations here that are happening in parallel. One innovation is blockchain, and the other innovation is AI. And I think that they will be connected in some places Mm -hmm. where, where, it's, where it makes sense. And I'm already seeing it exactly the places that you, you mentioned mm -hmm. uh, where these things are, are being connected. Mm -hmm. But there's a, if we want to reach the trillions of dollars of security tokens, then the, the bread and butter of the, of the big capital is still managed by asset managers, still distributed by, by, by these guys. And we can offer them something amazing. We can offer them private securities, which until now they did not distribute, they did not touch. And even if they distributed them, there was no transactions post-sale. Mm -hmm. And we can bring them literally trillions of dollars of new money. Mm -hmm. It's not some sort of a blockchain efficiency improvement. Let's put a blockchain and improve your IT 10%. Nobody cares about that. This is new business for mm -hmm. these guys. So I think that in, in the majority of things, what you're saying is like 10 years away. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm saying long I live way. in the future. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So talk about what you're building now. So one of the projects that I actually uh, talked about as a concept here in this conference six months ago, I, I, I kind of saw it coming because I, I, I'm, I'm seeing the market very early. And what I saw was that um, we need a new blockchain for security tokens. Mm -hmm. uh, I said Ethereum is not going to cut it. It's just not built for this. You hate Ethereum. Uh, for security tokens, I do. Okay. <laughs> it's, just, right. it's just not relevant. Do you own any Ethereum? Sorry? Do you own any Ethereum? Uh, no. No? Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Talk in your book. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I, don't, I don't own any Ethereum. But, but that's, not a good, <laughs> that's not a good proxy because I hold some EOS and I don't believe in that either. <laughs> you can't say that in LA. Yeah, I, know, I know. All right, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Rub some salt on this. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, what we're doing with Onera is we're building a new blockchain, a base layer network 
dedicated to security token from okay. the ground up. So basically, this is like an Ethereum type protocol, but rather than it be Ethereum, it's your own, and it's specifically built for security tokens. It's for institutional investors. For okay. security. And Explain what the main difference is between an Ethereum and what you're building. What, what's it called? It's called Onera. Onera. Okay. Yes, it's a blockchain for ownership. Okay. And what is the main difference between that and like an Ethereum? So two main things. The first thing is that it's, it's institutional grade. So it's built on something called on code of uh, the um, Hyperledger fabric. Mm -hmm. In Hyperledger fabric, when you go to a bank, they're accepting it immediately. Mm -hmm. they, can, they can deploy it on IBM, on Amazon, on, on Microsoft, on, on Google. It's, it's acceptable. So immediately the, the tech problem goes out of the question. Yep. So it's built on, on that. The other thing that's interesting about Onera is that I'll describe a problem that I found with the current security token ecosystem, which makes it a problem for institutionals. Today, in the world of security tokens, the token is considered as just a thing that can be traded and moved from one hand to the other, but it doesn't include any value. The value of the token is off-chain. So you'd say you can have a token that says you own a building, the document that says that you own the building is off-chain, is kept on somebody's server. And just the token is moving around and it's a proxy. Mm -hmm. and, and I see that this is a, a big problem. Why? I, I, I called it the Brooklyn Bridge problem. Okay. So imagine, I actually did this. I went on, on Ravencoin, which is, uh, and, and I, I, I created a, a token called Brooklyn Bridge. And I can sell you the Brooklyn Bridge token and you will own the Brooklyn Bridge token. All the miners in Ravencoin are going to be extremely happy because you're now the owner of Brooklyn, Brooklyn Bridge and I'm not. It doesn't make you the owner of Brooklyn Bridge because it wasn't mine to sell in the first place. And nobody's incentivized to look outside the blockchain. Yeah, but, but in that situation, I could create a LLC right now called Empire State LLC. And I could technically sell you ownership in Empire State Building LLC. You don't own... The Empire State Building, but we don't not use LLCs because of that. You could you could cheat in the real world too, but in the real world you buy the you buy the securities initially, and then you can do your due diligence. It doesn't then start traveling across exchanges, across peer to peer, across the internet. The problem with the not the problem, the advantage of security tokens is that they can move around. So mm -hmm. it's not enough that the primary buyer can do their due diligence because next day it's moving to another person, another person, and another person. And suddenly the original value that I bought, I don't know where it is. I actually challenge you today to pick any random security token out of the internet and tell me what the underlying value is. And I'm telling you, you'll have to be a detective. Mm -hmm. You'll have to dig really hard to find what the value is. And it's not immutable. Mm -hmm. the, the board of this company can come in and to say, uh, we'll make a decision that from now on, you're not getting 50% of the revenues, you're getting 20% of the revenues. And nobody would know. There's no way to tell the digital uh, security. Mm -hmm. owner. And so how like, do you guys solve that problem? So the way we solve it is that Onera, the token actually carries the values inside it, All with right. it, everywhere it goes. That's smart people stuff, so explain that. Okay. So what we're doing is we invented something called KYA. KYA. Yeah. Know your asset. Okay. It's the equivalent of KYC. KYC is know your customer. It's mm -hmm. about the identity of a person. Mm -hmm. KYA is know your asset. It's about the identity of an asset. Okay. And what this includes is everything you need to know about the asset that the token represents. So if it's a building, it's all the, the documents of the building. And then you also specify what rights you have as a token owner. And it is signed by the, uh, by the issuer. Okay. And that's put on the blockchain 
together with the token, encapsulated together, immutable, so that no matter who gets the token, they can open it, look inside, and their rights are there. Nobody can deny their rights. Nobody can say that it's different now, and they don't have to look for it anywhere. It's on the blockchain. So information becomes available for everybody. So when you sell me the Brooklyn Bridge token, now I look inside, I realize you tricked me. Basically, I know that I don't own the Brooklyn Bridge Wait, immediately. So that was the first layer. Okay. But it didn't solve the Brooklyn Bridge problem yet. It only solved the information problem. But then you have to, to, do, to solve the second problem, which is verification. And that's the second thing that Onera does. Onera is run by nodes that we call underwriting nodes. Uh-oh. So right, what's an underwriting node? An underwriting node in a regular blockchain, a node is anybody with a computer. Mm -hmm. On Onera, an underwriting node is a financial institute, like a bank, mm -hmm. uh, like a broker-dealer, like uh, any company that is reputable mm -hmm. uh, to do these kind of things. And if you want to upload a token to Onera, you have to take your KYA to an underwriting node convince them that it's true, and they upload your, uh, your token to the Onera platform. So mm -hmm. all the KYAs and all the tokens in Onera are verified by underwriters. And you're, if I'm the purchaser of the token, I'm counting on the fact that this reputable organization was willing to put it on here, so they must have done their diligence. Yes, and we also added the business model behind it. So. This, if, if I'm an underwriter and I take an, uh, an, an, uh, an asset and bring it to Donera, I do the work. Listen, I'm going to use blockchain terms now. Okay. I do the work to verify that, it, that, the, that the KYA is true, not only on the blockchain, but also in the real world. So I did mm -hmm. the work. Then I stake my reputation to it mm -hmm. and I put it on the network. And as a, as, a, as a price for that, as a fee, from now on, every transaction for the life of the uh, asset I'm gonna get a, a transaction fee for it. So I get the lifetime revenues from the, I, I basically become the blockchain, mm -hmm. the block producer for this asset. Got so, it. Where are you guys in terms of building the product today? So um, we're, we already have a, uh, a basic test prov proving that it can be done on, uh, on uh, Hyperledger Fabric because mm -hmm. people thought it couldn't. Mm -hmm. So we're showing how Hyperledger Fabric can be turned into a public network, how you can store tokens on it, how the tokens can store the KYA, how underwriting nodes can underwrite the, the K, all of this, the, the basic proof of that has been done. And now we're starting to scale up towards a proper real implementation. So you're like the ninth person in security tokens slash financial services around blockchain that have told me they're using Hyperledger. Why is everybody using this? I think because what I said before, Hyperledger is perceived as institutional ready, institutional grade ready, IBM is behind it. Microsoft is behind it, uh, Amazon is behind it, and so on. But there's an interesting point to understand. All the people that you talk to are building private networks because that's what Hyperledger was built for. What we've done is we did something a little bit clever where the Hyperledger, if you remember, I said that every issuer have an underwriter. Mm -hmm. So from the point of view of the underwriter, they have a private network. They only deal with their own issuers. They don't deal with any other issuer. But the users connect to all those private networks together. So for, for, from the user perspective, it's a public network. Mm -hmm. So we created a public network out of a combination of private networks. So for the user, I can have one wallet and I can have uh, assets managed by Citi and asset, asset managed by JP Morgan when they become nodes and asset managed by any, any other node in the platform. So you, you basically have a public network. You can have liquidity, you can have, uh, you know, all the exchanges can use the same network and so on. So what we're doing with Hyperledger is quite unique.
What if I don't trust the banks? If you don't trust, don't trust the banks. Then choose another underwriter. It's, Got it's, it. It's a, it's an open platform. Let them compete. If you can build a new underwriting node with an AI in there, and your AI is doing the underwriting, and you know people will trust yours better. You can also price it any way you want. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a completely open platform. What we've done here is we've taken the real world uh, situation where people take uh, assets public, they go through an underwriter. And we just made it open, completely open. And mm-hmm. we let the market dictate what KYA means. We let the market, market dictate the prices. We let the market dictate who they trust as their underwriter. It doesn't have to be a banker. Mm-hmm. All right, before we uh, wrap up, and we may have time for like one or two questions, rapid fire. Okay. Most important company in crypto other than your own? Uh, Coinbase right now. Coinbase? Why? Because it's bringing it to, it's helping bring, uh, bring crypto concepts to the, to the masses. All right, that's fair. Uh, if you can change or improve any one regulation, what would it be? Uh, Reg D, I'll make it a lot simpler. W- w- which part would you simplify? Like, what, what's the I, w- I would say that it's just wrong. What it does, it allows people to invest. It, it allows only the people that already have money to make more money. Mm-hmm. So it says, if you're rich... Go ahead, be more rich. If you're not rich, don't be more rich. If The way that I would do it is I, w- I would make it as a percentage of somebody's income because you don't want people to go bankrupt and so on. So you say you can invest up to 10%. Mm-hmm. If you have $1,000, invest up to 100. If you have 100 million, invest up to a million, but you know, in, 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 a, in a scalable way. That's Got where. It. What's the most controversial thought you have in crypto other than long the bankers? Because that's outrageous. <laughs> but what, what, what is your second most outrageous thought? I, I think that the, um, and that's, a lot of people in crypto value anonymity. I think anonymity is the most dangerous thing any platform can have. Why? I hate anonymity. Why? I'll give you an example. Anonymity is what allows people to hide and then do the worst thing possible. Which this, is? Uh, on Telegram, people basically cloned my, my, uh, my, uh, my profile mm-hmm. and try to hack people out of money mm-hmm. and, and succeeded in hacking, hacking people out of money. It's terrible. Only because of anonymity. In, in, in election, when you're talking about election in, in countries here in the US, uh, there's election now in Israel, bots can come in and become anonymous and they can, they can ruin everything. And I, I think there's a, very, there's a very good game theory about this that says that uh, when, when you need trust, there are only two states of equilibrium. Either everybody trusts everybody or nobody trusts anybody. Mm-hmm. Now, in a market where there's no anonymity, you're much more likely to be in a position where people say what they think and uh, they have consequences and so on. So trust is, is achieved. In a market where some people can cheat, very quickly, all trust collapses. All, you don't know who to believe. Everybody's a liar. And it's just if 5% of the anonymous people cheat, it ruins trust in the entire platform. But, so we don't have that much time. We could talk about this for hours. I actually think that's a good thing in the fact that I don't want to trust anybody. I don't think you should trust anybody. I don't think they should trust anybody, right? I, I think that crimes, fraud, all this stuff happens. I don't blame somebody for cloning your profile and like trying to fraudulently induce money from somebody. I blame the fact that those people trust you. That's the, that, that's the problem. If they didn't trust you, they would never give them money. Right? If they didn't trust me, they would never give money to those frauds. Instead, if everyone was in the position of, I trust no one, I verify everything, 
then you remove all of those risks. And so anonymity doesn't even matter at that point. Now it's up to you whether you want to be anonymous or not, because whether you're anonymous or not, nobody, they don't trust you either way. I think what you're saying is, is the theory of what you're saying is cool. But, you know, so are a lot of, so are a lot of theories in theories are cool. I mean, communism in theory could be cool. But then in reality, it's a shit show. Because what happens is when people start cheating, as you said, uh, real people get hurt real fast. And I mean, talk, hurt, I mean, financially, physically, abuse. Oh, people who are not anonymous hurt way more people. Jamie Dimon has hurt more people than all anonymous accounts on the internet combined times 20. But, you know, we know who he is and we can decide whether we... Uh, He's one of the richest people in the world. <laughs> I know, but, but at least we know who he is and we can decide whether we like it or we don't like it. But if somebody has showed up on, 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 on Twitter looking exactly like you mm -hmm. with the exact same names and same everything... And then said, said something that, uh, that that's hurt somebody. But, but that's not anonymity, right? That's anonymity. Anonymity allows that to happen. No, no. Anonymity, like all that is, is they've basically, they've, um, they've copied my information. They're, um, they're pretending to be me, right? So they're pretending to be something that's not anonymous. But the anonymity would be if they're on Twitter and they just have an egg photo, right? Because even like if you look at, uh, I don't know, crypto bully or bully esq that was his name or panda whale or whale panda or any of these guys like they're actually not anonymous they're pseudonymous right because they have their they have a name that you associate with their account and over time you can choose whether or not to believe them not believe them whatever but the anonymity like i i would actually argue that there's almost no anonymity on facebook twitter etc like it's all pseudonymity, which we can argue whether it's good or not, but anonymity doesn't exist on those platforms, right? I don't see a lot of difference between anonymity and pseudonymity. As long as you don't have to, as long as you can speak uh, without your true identity and you can do things without your, your true identity and you can buy things without your, your true identity and so on and so forth. This is a slippery slope that ends where I get uh, attacked physically. Okay, and it happened. It's not a theoretical thing. Now, you can be a theorist as much as you want, but once your family is, uh, is in danger, once your livelihood is in danger, once your well-being is in danger, suddenly it's not so cute anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think anonymity uh, is exactly that kind of thing. And, you know, people, people kind of, you know, all the crypto uh, uh, zealots, you know, they want everything to be anonymous and so on. For me, if, if a terrorist organization can get more funds because they're using an anonymous platform, I don't want that platform. What if it violates my personal freedoms and my rights? I think there's a balance here. And I think that uh, I, I do not support regimes that would use the, the identity to, to, uh, you know, to, to attack you. But I don't support it in, in the same amount of, of fervor. I mean, I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't agree to that. doesn't mean that I have to agree to the other. I think anonymity is dangerous. And I think anonymity reduces the... the the uh, quality of the public discourse and you know the, there's a hashtag uh, uh that says everything is stupid and and in the end if everybody's anonymous anonymous everything is stupid <laughs> i got you to say that we're going to automate the bankers i can't get you on the anonymous side all right uh most important book you've ever read um i don't read books actually all right uh none I have an eye problem, so I don't like read. Uh, I can I can answer on a TV show if you okay, want. Okay, TV show. I'm I'm following two TV shows now. I'm following Billions, uh -huh. which is cool. I don't yep. know if you see, you're seeing it. Yeah. And I'm following Star Trek, the Star new Star Trek. 
finally, Star Trek is doing something interesting. Perfect. Let's talk about aliens. <laughs> so Star Trek's what they're doing now is they're taking your favorite subject, AI, yep. and pitching them as the villain that will end all life. <laughs> Don't believe anything you see on TV. Okay. Um, all right. Aliens, real or not? Uh, real for sure, but we'll never meet them. Why not? They're too far away. All right, that's fair. They, listen, I don't know, man. You ever seen Zoom? We might just start video conferencing with them. Could be, yeah. <laughs> All right, what one question do you have for me that will take two questions from the audience? Two questions? No, just one question for me and then two, let, let the smart people ask two questions. Okay, so I would ask you, in terms of your view of, of security tokens, do you think it's bigger than uh, crypto or smaller than crypto, just about the same? Uh, my view has evolved on this. I don't believe in security tokens. Okay. Um, what I mean by that is I believe that every stock, bond, currency, and commodity will be digital, right? And that's literally the core thesis since the day I got into this stuff. It's just another name for security tokens. It's digital securities. It, it's the digitization of the assets. The idea of a security token to me, like I, it just doesn't make sense in the sense of like it's, it, it puts too much emphasis on this is different than... It's actually the same thing. It's just the underlying technology gets swapped out, right? So um, I don't use that vernacular anymore uh, because of that. So what do you call it? Digital but, securities? Yeah, I usually just call, well, I call it a digitally native asset, digitally right? Native so, asset. so it could be a stock, a bond, a currency, commodity, it could be whatever. Uh, but with all that said, uh, one of the most uh, painful times I've ever been on the internet was when I came out and I said that uh, digital securities were going to be much bigger and more important than uh, Bitcoin and the recreation of money. So we agree on that. Uh, well, so here and why I said it was on a pure market cap basis, the money supply globally is, let's call it, you know, 80 to 90 trillion dollars. Real estate globally is 215, right? Just, just, so on, on, just on market cap. Now, there's an argument to be made, and I actually am sympathetic and, and believe most of it, where Yes, but money is integral, even though it's smaller on a market cap basis, it's so core as the unit of value that importance isn't just about market cap, which I think is a fair argument. Um, so it's just not black and white, but but I do think that uh, people are underestimating how big it will be. Yeah, right? I agree. All right, two questions. Whoa. All right, three. Uh, four. All right, fine, four. Just those four. I'm not taking any others. So I um, am victim of identity theft, SIM swapping remote. Um, my phone was stolen when I wasn't even, uh, it was stolen remotely. And I have a Schwab account. I have bank accounts. And within 72 hours, all of my cryptocurrency was wiped out. It's, I still haven't been able to get back on all the platforms. So the anonymity uh, issue that I'm being brought up is really important to me. This is really destroyed me, it, not financially. It's the loss of time, money, effort, stress, and anxiety. I spent two or three hours a day trying to, my, my identity is recovered. It's all my assets are basically been corrupted and I don't, it's, it's very hard to even know where to go to begin to try to recover yeah, all but that. This, so this is really important. So one, nobody wants that to happen, right? Two, uh, both of my partners have been SIM swapped one of those that swims up like five times, right? And uh, we've been able to develop ways to stop it, et cetera. Uh, that's not because of anonymity though. That's because of the mobile carriers have bad security measures, right? They're able to be socially engineered. Like, like there's serious problems there, right? So I don't want to kind of uh, deminimize what's going on, but 
that culprit is not anonymity, right? It's those players. Right. Now, mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of things to be said around uh, if they were socially engineering your information from you through anonymous accounts or pseudonymous accounts, et cetera. Um, I, I think that it's a huge problem. It's just not the anonymity that's the problem. It's mobile phone services are done. Right. The anonymity of the thief but, helped but him get not, away. But it's not anonymity, right? It's like saying a bank robber walks in the bank, doesn't tell anybody their name, and because they robbed the bank, they were anonymous. No, what I'm saying is that uh, when this person logged into or registered an address on, on Bitcoin, for example, they didn't have to provide any any details. Now, well, if, they, if they did it through an exchange now, they would have to provide details, and I'm happy with that. Uh, if they didn't provide any details, then they could run away with the money and dis- potentially disappear with it. So this is but, but uh, this is a key piece, in a, right? In a bank, it's in a bank, it's hard to do that. Now, I, I I will take. I agree that banks have theft as well, and probably more. Yeah. But let's not ag- ignore the but problems. Just, be, in- just because that happened to him doesn't mean that I should have to give my information to access money. Like I I, I, funda- I, I come at it from my fundamental right is to be private, right? I, I don't have to be public. Private, they don't- private and private and anon- anonymous is not the same thing. No, but but Actually, true privacy is I'm have complete anonymity. You can be you can be more private and non anonymous. I don't want to be more. I want to be private. Yeah, not because I'm, I'm doing anything wrong. No, it's I'm like saying, encryption, right? Everyone thought why why would you encrypt communication if you're not doing anything wrong? So I'll I'll, I'll go back to quickly to to to, uh, to what we talked about earlier. We're, we're so over time; they can't stop us. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so I'll talk about what we talked before. <laughs> They're staring at me. I just go ahead. <laughs> So on, on, on Bitcoin, you get anonymity, but you don't get privacy because everything you do is on, on chain. Mm-hmm. On a platform like, uh, like Onera, you will not get anonymity, but you will get privacy because everything is hashed. So what do you but prefer? Who, but anonymous, but not private but or private, knows? but not anonymous? But who knows? Who knows what I'm doing? Do you know? There are enough companies out there that can match patterns and know that it's, as long as they know that it's one of the wallets that's connected is yours, they can make the make the connection to you. So even even people that uh, you know, most people would agree that even though uh, Bitcoin is anonymous, it's not private because it's transparent. Mm-hmm. While a platform like uh, like uh, an institutional grade uh, uh, platform is not going to be anonymous, but it's going to be completely private. Now it's not going to be private from the bank because they know it and I know it, and that's fine. But for everybody else, it's going to be private. So what I'm saying is anonymity does not generate privacy by default and privacy doesn't mean that you're not anonymous to most of the world i thought we were past this and then you got to kickstart it again <laughs> no, but also my deposit the deposits have a unique identifier so whoever the thief was had to send it to a unique identifier as a deposit and that is traceable but not it's anonymous but is it traceable by cybersecurity, oh, fbi sure. and all that for sure I, I uh, in a week or two, we're going to come out with a recording. Uh, I interviewed a active DEA agent who this is his job is to find money launders using crypto. Fascinating. All right. Got right behind you. I, I'd like to go back to the bank robbery example, because I think that's a really good one to talk about privacy versus anonymous. Uh, Man, you, know, you, you really kicked the hornet's nest. All right. Uh, you, you asked me for a conversion, <laughs> controversial <laughs> opinion. I gave you one, didn't I? Because I, 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 li- I like the example of a bank robber because it, it's a really good practical example of why we should not have perfect privacy 
because of examples like that. You could be an anonymous bank robber, have a mask over your face, no one knows who you are when you go in, but we're able to hold that bank robber accountable because the car they're driving might have a license plate that's registered to their name. They might go home to an address that is registered to their name. And we have a trusted centralized authority in the police or the FBI or some sort of law enforcement who can go and hold that person accountable. So I, I know this was more of a statement than a question, but to make it a question, wouldn't you rather have a society where accountability can exist without perfect privacy so that we can effectively reach more of that equilibrium that you spoke about um, where no you no don't way. have, you, you know, you're not perfectly anonymous. You're not perfectly private. You're somewhere in the middle. So an individual who wants to exist in, in general privacy and, and anonymous behavior can, but we can still hold those accountable who try to take advantage of anonymous, uh, of so being anonymous. The, the only thing that I'll say is the violation of any of our rights is a violation of all of our rights, right? I spent a year in Iraq and guess how Iraq gets how it is or Venezuela or China. It starts with the violation of one person's rights, right? And you're looking at it through the lens of law enforcement, but it is not, I, do, I shouldn't have to give up my rights to privacy, to anonymity, to freedom and my personal freedoms so they can catch you doing bad things. What's that got to do with me? Not my fault, right? Because their job is harder, which by the way, by having anonymity and privacy, it does make it harder, right? We shouldn't give up our rights to make their job easier, right? And when you talk to guys like this D agent, his take is, take Monero. It's incredibly difficult, but they are going to figure out ways to solve this, right? To, to track things, et cetera. But that is for them to develop. The, it, by giving up our rights in that manner, it's this slippery slope. Right. And now look what China does. Right. They literally track your face all around the place. I, and I agree. And first of all, you know, I, I thank you for yeah, you're fine. serving to, to protect those freedoms. But I think that's a single dimensional way of looking at freedom. We're not just free from one, from one thing. We have freedoms that protect us to be free from many different things. Freedom from our government, but also freedom from crime. And freedom You're from not, other you, bad you have, things you that have can no, happen. No, but you have no innate freedom from crime. That's not a thing. You may not want crime, but you have no guaranteed right free from crime. I actually should have the freedom to come beat you up, right? Now, there's punishments. But, but, but constitutionally, constitutionally, mm -hmm. we're guaranteed justice and the security of posterity from our government. So when we talk about what the freedom is that we're guaranteed, and, and this gets more constitutional than it does theoretical, mm -hmm. when we put it in the context of the United States, we do legally, by being a citizen of this country, entrust in a centralized government the responsibility and the duty to ensure posterity and justice and general freedom to its citizens. So wouldn't it be the job of the government to make sure that that happens? If um, you had a, if you had a right in, in to the, safety. In the most, e with, with an equilibrium. Yeah, if you had a right to safety, then they should track all of us with facial recognition. They should track all of our license plates. They should make us register. But I'm, I'm not stuff. saying we, we become a maximalist. But in where's any, the line? In, any, in, where's the line? And that's honestly, and I think that's where you leave it up to our courts. So, and you leave it up to the law. So when, we've been, when, we've when been, said, we've been modifying said, that line since... 1783. So when you said where where is the line, you basically acknowledge that there's a line. 
and now no, it's uh, my my argument is if you buy into that if you buy that argument where, where is the line that you're willing to so, stop at? I, I, mean, I don't I'll, think there I'll, should be I'll, a line. I'll comment I, I, on that, though. But, but there, in, is, there, in is, there is one thing sure, I want to say ahead. about this is that um, you will find that, um, I mean, no, I don't know anything yeah, enough about you, but uh, the approach that there is no line is easier to take when you come from a sheltered environment. But if you're part of a minority or you're being abused, the line is in a completely different place for you. So it, it's really dependent on, on who you are. So if you're in danger of, uh, of, of being, uh, you know, uh, this line that doesn't exist threatens you or your family or your livelihood or, or your property, you would want let that line to be somewhere along where, you know, uh, the gentleman says it should be, where it makes sense, where not too much of your rights were being violated because rights are being violated by laws all the time. You have to pay taxes. That violates your right. So the line is somewhere where, you know, people are safe. First of all, from from abuse and torture and, and 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 everything else. So to say that there's no line for me is a little bit on the extreme. I, I just don't believe in relying on somebody else for your safety. I, I and but I, I understand that, and I'll just give an. Ex- I'd like to hear your your comment on this specific line. I think it was two, 2014 Supreme Court case decided on uh, the the degree to which law enforcement is allowed to take and possess someone's cell phone. And this particular officer arrested someone, went through their cell phone contents, and then arrested them for a different crime. And the Supreme Court ruled that that was unconstitutional and set a line that an officer is allowed to take possession of the phone and check its contents so much to ensure that the cell phone itself does not pose a threat to the officer. So really just the physical nature of the phone. What are your thoughts on on that particular line and that kind of middle ground being thought out by pretty smart people who aren't necessarily seeking for power themselves in in different contexts that that revolve around privacy versus safety. Has a cell phone ever beat you up? Come on. To check a cell phone for danger to an officer, right? Again, I don't have all the details, but that's a pretty... Uh, far reach. I mean, the, the just in, in practical terms, it, it effectively means you can look at it, but you can't go in the contents. Yeah, to, well, to look at it, right, it is different than going into the contents of it. And, right. and so, again, it would be if you can search somebody's phone, I would think, right, and again, this kind of somebody who's not a lawyer who doesn't understand constitutional law, et cetera, that you would be able to not go into somebody's phone unless you had a search warrant. You're right. searching, Right. But, but the officer is able to arrest the individual, go into their pockets, pull out a cell phone and look and, and you know, verify. So it doesn't, I mean, doesn't that kind of find a middle ground between true privacy? Because true privacy would mean that no arresting officer is ever able to search my, you know, to search my person. So doesn't that kind of find a middle ground to ensure safety and some degree of privacy? No, again, right? And, and part of this comes down to, yes, officer safety is important, right? Some of my best friends are police officers. And I think what they would tell you is they do that for their safety, but they're doing it after you're already in custody, right? That you're already you're already charged with a crime in the sense of they, they have now taken possession of your body, right? And, and put you into custody. That's very different than if they walk down the street, they cannot go in your pocket just because they want to. Right. It, 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 it changes when you go, I think, from what you were saying earlier, bad people do bad things. And when you do bad things, the rules change. Right. Mm-hmm. We put people in cages. Right. For t- decades for crimes all the time. I think that that changes when you violate the rules of society. But if you are a law abiding citizen, they they can't do that stuff. 
right? So I think it's different law-abiding citizen versus criminal, right? All right, let's move on before, good. Huh? Who else? Go, all right, he's got, a, he's, got a, he's got a question about why we're here. <laughs> Man, we're 20 minutes over time. These quick, guys are, all right, just let her hurry up. So earlier in the talk, you'd mentioned about um, Onera being decentralized, correct? So what is the process for selecting underwriters? How are they chosen, verified, and secondary to that? Why can't this be done via AI? Because the data available for your example, say the Romanian shopping mall, from daily foot traffic to car traffic to plot size to rent numbers to weather patterns to all this AI information is available. Um, you know, why, why, I guess, so yeah. How are the underwriters chosen and why can't this be done via AI? So to the first question, uh, the, the uh, Onera is going to be a nonprofit uh, foundation, uh, open source, and the rules for who can become a node will be published. So, for example, one of the rules will say that if you are a uh, registered uh, entity with the, uh, I don't know, uh, with the SEC or, or FINRA or any, or any of these agencies, you can immediately become, uh, you, you can become a, a node. So basically the rules are going to be uh, uh, published and anybody that meets the criteria can get in. So doesn't that take away the decentralization of the project then, where you have rules and limitations and certain people who are only qualified to participate? So you're going to open a very uh, a new kind of worms here about what is actually uh, distributed and what isn't distributed. But I think that uh, if we can have thousands of, of entities uh, on, on the platform, all of them uh, approved by, by their uh, being regulated, okay, it's distributed enough. I understand that definitely where you're talking about okay. having one or two people in control versus having thousands and then the markets helps find the equilibrium, Correct. right? Yes. But I, it still feels like a centralized solution when you're, when you're discussing I'm, I'm not religiously uh, decentralized. Uh, you know, some people uh, talk about decentralized uh, platforms as if this is a, a, an end in itself and, and it's not. It's just, it, it, it shouldn't be centralized. That's, that's enough. The other question about AI, uh, you know, I've been building AI systems for many years. Uh, we're still some time away from what you're describing. If, if a company, for example, want to launch into the market and they say that we think uh, our company is worth uh, $100 million because we're doing this, that, and the other, okay? If, if they can say whatever they want and based on that, the market will price them, then we'll, be, we'll have the ICO phenomena again. Anybody can say whatever they want. They can bring AI to do that. Yeah, no, we're talking you, about data analytics and data being processed through an AI yeah, program. So as ah. we talked about it before, and I said anything that's commoditized, the data is commoditized and can be replaced by AI, I would welcome an, an automated node on Onera. Hey, everyone. Pop here. If you like this episode of Off the Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off the Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off the Chain.